0: I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2017 Strip-Till Farmer Podcast Series. Today's program, A Surgery Without a Scar Approach to Strip-Tilling, is being brought to you by Dawn Equipment. And if this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if there's another app you prefer for listening to podcasts, let us know. We'll make every effort to get it added here as well. And by subscribing, that will allow you to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to Dawn Equipment for sponsoring today's episode. The new Dawn Pluribus Strip-Till Row Unit is the industry's first strip-till row unit with active row-by-row hydraulic down pressure, which allows you to make the perfect strip even if life puts you in a tire track. The new Don Pluribus makes a deeper, wider strip and offers hydraulic, in-cab, row cleaner adjustment, all with the same high-speed and low-power performance you've come to expect. You can call Don today and set up a demo of the new Pluribus at 800-554-0007. Again, that number is 800-554-0007. Well, for the last 10 years, Woodville, Ontario strip-tiller Dustin Mulock has been building and refining a combination no-till strip-till system. Integrating different pieces of equipment, fertility methods, and cover crops put him on a productive path to bio-strip-till. This approach complements his twin-row strip-till setup for corn and soybeans and has helped increase yields by 25% while also naturally building nutrient levels in his mostly sandy loam soils. Originally a no-tiller, one of Dustin's guiding principles for farming is to disturb the soil as little as possible, while also getting accurate, efficient placement of fertilizer. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast brought to you by Dawn Equipment, we welcome in Dustin to detail his surgery-without-a-scar approach to strip-till to include fertilizer application equipment modifications and experimentation with more than a dozen different cover crop species.
1: We'll run through what we've been able to develop the last couple years. Uh, it has been a bit of a system, it's been a bit of a journey. Um, I think I may have put my dad in an early grave, but uh, we'll take it one step at a time here. I am from Woodville, Ontario, Canada, so we're about an hour north of Frontal. Uh, we're somewhere around the latitude with uh, uh, was it Grand Rapids, Michigan? I think somewhere up in the thumb, or right across that uh, that parallel there. So you have an idea where we are. Give you a little background. Um, up until the early '80s, we were a conventional system with our plow, etc. much my father was doing. In the mid '80s, we started beginning with no-till, switching into that. Um, as time went on, into the, the mid '80s, we started running into a potash and phosphorus issue, declining levels, yields declining. So we knew we had to do something. We were not Um, big fans of spread on top of the soil. We didn't want to just feed the weeds. We wanted precision place and keep our costs down. Uh, We were working with uh, zone till with Rawson's triple coulter system uh, on our corn planter. So we added uh, dry fertilizer to the front coulter. Uh, We were were rewarded with a uh, about 10 bushel bump. That got us interested. Um, From there on um, the system Wasn't perfect because with the coulters being so close in front of the planter we had about six seconds before um, The wet dirt hit the row units and we got into some sidewall compaction Uh, So that is what really got us interested in strip till from there But basically uh, if you're not familiar with them, which I'm sure you are it's a single lead coulter and then the two wavies on the rear thinner wave on the front wider waves on the rear Um, very effective system uh, good for the time we were using them when we started out in our minds, we had an idea of what we want to do because we were no tillers. We did, we, we knew specifics that we wanted to achieve. Uh, some of them were things like we wanted to limit erosion and soil dis- and, and soil disturbance. We are on rolling hills. Uh, we do have a, a sandy loam, silt loam, and clay loam soils. Uh, so we have some heavier, but we also have some lighter we have to be very careful with. We want to maintain at least 50 to 60 percent residue cover on top of the soil. We enjoyed that with our, with our no till. We wanted to, to continue to perturb preserve and protect our soil. Um, we want a quick and efficient single pass system, want to maintain the efficiency of our no-till, and we wanted to precision place that fertilizer at least three to four inches in depth, This is we were doing already. We want to preserve and build organic matter and our soil structure that we'd already been developing over the last 15 or, or so years. Um, we wanted to improve our planter efficiency. We wanted, uh, the strip to allowed us to have that uh, nice smooth pass to drive on top of, less bouncing, less knock off the the, the meters, etc. Um, we, we really enjoyed that. We wanted to make sure we could make use of that, especially in our stonier land. Uh, we wanted to protect and improve our soil biology and, and habitat, and we also wanted to limit the occurrence of stones. You guys know what that's all about. Um, it's something that has always, always plugged us and always will, I'm sure. Our first unit that we tried was the uh, Progressive Row Units. These were developed here uh, in the United States. They literally bolted on the frame of your choice. Um, single lead coulter uh, with a small uh, and anhy- style knife with a fertilizer applicating tube in behind. And then two closing wheels behind that. They were a walking tandem design. That as the pressure went down, the front wheels limited the depth, but allowed the weight to transfer on the closing coulters and push the uh, the, the hills together. System worked well. Um, and it was our first attempt to separate the, from the tillage from the planter, and it did work. We got about six hours in between. We got some drier dirt on top, and we did get away from our sidewall compaction issues. It would only disturbed about two inches in depth, and it only place the fertilizer about two inches in depth, but it was still good at popping up stones. Uh, our major issue here was the 7,000 frame, being an older unit, hydraulic electric control, uh, that was more fighting than it was worth. We then moved on to uh, Ray Ross's Zone Commander. Um, this is a similar picture to our machine to ours. Uh, it was a large shank. We wanted to go, We at the time, we wanted to go deeper, we wanted to go deeper placed for, for corn, uh, make our roots follow down deeper, try to drought proof ourselves. Um, we had a fertilizer tube on the back of ours that we could adjust to m- multiple different depths, this was very handy, and our closing wheels and our first foyer into rolling baskets. Once we got these, we loved them, we loved what they did for our soil and firm them enough that we didn't get into erosion. Um, this was an eight row machine and it did some extreme disturbance. Uh, because we were working so deep, we were getting into uh, uh, washouts and gullies. Uh, we were getting extreme uh, uh, stones. Anything that was large, deeper down, it became a surface stone. It was a slow process and it required a pile of horsepower. And so this is something that we did not enjoy. Um, we got to the point where we are always doing a spring pass as well to close in any cabiting, uh, caveats etc throughout the system. Next we, we, we moved on to the Soul Warrior. You guys are probably familiar with this today because it's right here but you have your Fall Cog and you have your Twin uh, Coulter designed for spring. This was an eight row machine as well. It did uh, maintain fifty to sixty percent of our uh, our residue on top of the surface. That was a very good thing for us there. It did allow for uh, a varying operations and conditions. It was a little more, a little moist. It allow for we could go a little longer compared to a shank. Uh, it reduced our stone numbers. It placed the fertilizer around that two to three inches in depth, but it didn't favor a wide enough berm to get our twins onto with a consistent and even germination. Um, it also required a spring pass which was something with our low, uh, the main reason for the for spring pass is we have low labor, my father and myself. Um, we just don't have the time to get this, the, to get a second spring pass done. After that machine we moved on to John Deere's 2510H, or 10S rather. Uh, this is a mold, this is a shank machine. Um, it has the adjustable but fixed row cleaners on the front. It's got a, uh, about an 8-inch shank on it uh, with the re- replaceable tip. It has its closers and the uh, spring um, applied rolling concave basket on the rear. This machine was able to achieve fertilizer anywhere from 3 inches to 8 inches, but we needed to maintain the 8 inches in depth with the shank to ensure proper uh, berm building. Otherwise, if we went shallower, the berm wanted to cavitate in the spring and it required a spring pass. If we maintained it low, we could have a beautiful berm. It was about a mid-horsepower requirement. It wasn't too bad. And uh, it was slow, Um, we could only maintain about 5 mile an hour with a 16 rows of the 430 horsepower tractor. It did require spying a larger tractor to operate it, which was another caveat. Um, We used about 20 gallons an hour, so it it, it liked liked its fuel, and we could only achieve about about 20 acres per hour. Uh, It did disrupt the the soil structure greatly in the strip because of our 8-inch explosion that we were causing, and uh, it did greatly increase the stone population, another large caveat there. So this is where we stand today a uh, we moved on to what I refer to as surgery without the scar. So we're placing our fertilizer but we're not leaving a large path behind us, uh, a path of destruction. Uh, this is a John Deere 2510H. It's an anhydrous machine. Uh, it's originally designed as a 15 row, uh, inter row uh, unit so it will work between the rows. Uh, when we purchased it we modified it uh, to be a 16 row by adding a row and shifting the rows uh, where they needed to be and we also added dry fertilizer tubes to it. For one of the first things we did, because we liked our row cleaners on the previous machines, we added uh, the GFX uh, hydraulic downforce row cleaners. The row unit itself is completely designed, Deere's designed it right off their John Deere no-till drill, so it's very just a larger copy. Um, we know the success we've had with that system, so we're quite comfortable with it. 23-inch blade uh, with a narrow row, uh, narrow. Um, uh, gauge wheel, so we can get over a lot, a lot of residue quick, and it has uh, two uh, um, uh, sealers on the rear. The dry fertilizer tube uh, is just snuck down in behind the, uh, uh, the 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 anhydrous boot, so it drops it. I'll show you some picture Drops it in 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 uh, right where we want it. Drops it in the in the, in the trench. The sealers originally were set 4 inches apart for uh, just closing the berm or closing the slot very quickly for the hydras. We widened it to be the 8 to match our um, stripped, or our, our twin row system, our eight, our 8 inch twins. This gives us a bit of texture and a bit of a, a seed, seed placement um, benefit. Now the n- number one thing about this machine is it's designed to apply at 10 miles per hour. So as long as my cart and my soil conditions can keep up, I can really move. Um, we can maintain that 5-inch depth anywhere between 1 and 5 very easily. The machine is extremely um, uh, favored towards that it has the down pressure and the capability to do that. We're using about 13 to 15 gallons per hour depending on soil conditions and uh, but we're able to, to achieve about 40 acres an hour. When it comes to low labor, etc., this is extremely important for us. I can pass over fields very quickly. <clears throat> I can also pass as a fall pass or a spring pass. It doesn't matter uh, whether shank systems. We can only use it as a fall pass because we're afraid of our soils drying out too much. Too much. We're getting next to zero stone disturbance, and we're maintaining about 65% of our residue on top. This one here is around. I think Deer labels it as a 20 to 25. Um, it, it, we we pull it with a two or a 300 horsepower tractor, and it doesn't does not know it's there. Our, uh, okay, so this is the sealers from behind here. So you can see we're acting just like a zipper. We're just making our slot uh, down and behind the, the boot. You can see the fertilizer boot dropping straight down and it's, it's blowing directly into our trench. And then we're just literally tying it back together. So this is why I refer to it as surgery without the scar. There's no large material left, uh, no large humps. But we are still managing to texture the soil, we're breaking it, we're, we're giving ourselves a small amount of texture so we can get some warming activity, minor dry, drying activity, but only about an inch deep. You can see it's not very aggressive because our spring cover, our spring primer, is actually still intact after we pass over top of it. They could continue to grow if they, if they chose to. Uh, this here is approximately about an inch, inch and a quarter in depth on either side. Um, so we have just a beautiful seed bed that we've made wide enough but then this is at the three-inch level here where we're placing fertilizer this spring. Shot from the top down in the seed trench, our seed tube releasing the fertilizer. Uh, One major benefit that we have on this machine as well as we added the Montag air vents and uh, these air vents are very nice. They're able to vent off a lot of the air pressure that we need to deliver the fertility. Um, Vents it off allows us to drop without pushing our fertility back out of the trench. Uh, It works well there. You can see here in the picture there's a small metal uh, nub in there that's connected to the boot that goes up front there's another option on this machine that we use for soybeans Um, it's called a a beaver tail it's a triangle piece that bolts onto here and then I I, we can then diffuse the fertilizer into the entire strip uh, in a wide pattern and and, and mix it in rather than drop it right to the bottom Uh, corn I like to drop to the bottom to maintain maximum depth the soybeans I can mix it in and uh, share it around a bit keep it a little bit shallower the Dawn GFX roll cleaners have been a massive um, improvement to this machine, uh, it fits extremely well for us. They're mounted via custom brackets that we built ourselves. Um, with the hydraulic down pressure, I can adjust in the cab and I can adjust it on the fly. If I go from a corn field to soybean, a soybean residue field in the same day, I don't, I'm not out there for an hour adjusting. It, it works extremely well. Um, We've modified them further. We put on the universal shark tooth wheels from Yetter and uh, uh, removed the spikes, and uh, it's done, a, it's removed a lot more trash a lot easier for us. And it's a superior ground contact that we've been able to uh, maintain that has really made them a positive thing for us. Here's pictures here. You can see we've, uh, the rolling gang is on the front that controls the uh, the entire row unit. We built a, a custom bracket to take them down to about the appropriate height. Um, and the, here's, the, here's, here's the, the front shot of that. These are uh, hydraulic downforce down, spring pressure up. So when you release the hydraulic pressure, they will curl themselves back up. It work very nice for this design.
0: We'll get back to Dustin's discussion shortly, but I wanted to again thank our sponsor, Dawn Equipment, for making this podcast possible. The new Dawn Pluribus Strip-Till Row Unit is the industry's first Strip-Till Row Unit with active row-by-row hydraulic down-pressure, which allows you to make the perfect strip even if life puts you in a tire track. The new Dawn Pluribus makes a deeper, wider strip and offers hydraulic in-cab rope cleaner adjustment, all with the same high-speed and low-power performance you've come to expect. You can call don today and set up a demo of the new pluribus at 800-554-0007 again that number is 800-554-0007 well one of the things dustin mentioned was his extensive experimentation with equipment setups to find the optimal operating speed and performance of his strip till rig he added Don GFX row cleaners with custom-made brackets so he could clean the rows without gouging the soil. The sum total of his innovation and experimentation led to a piece of equipment that hit on all of his requirements and then some. After a year of testing the new rig, it no longer had any issues with turning up rocks. There's been no yield drag and Dustin was able to eliminate the need for a 425 horsepower tractor and replace it with a 275 horsepower one. This change also came with a fuel savings of six gallons per acre and the ability to nearly double his strip tilling speed from five to six miles an hour to 10. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Dustin Mulock on motivation and methodology for adopting a bio strip tilt system.
1: Okay, so we'll get into a bit of the reasons why we decided um, we wanted to go towards the idea of the blade and get away from a, a lot of this tillage. Um, one of the main reasons is, is, is um, the polysaccharide chains in our soil. So basically, as Ray Archuleta refers to them, your biotic glues. So these are long carbohydrate chains that are sticky like sugars, and they bind our soils into aggregates. Um, between the aggregates, we have pore spaces, um, and these pore spaces are what are able to, to uh, hold our oxygen for our plants. So we remain aerobic and we have our water holding capacity. Uh, We we contain more water uh, throughout the season. We can also improve our water infiltration rates because of these pores. We get uh, more water entering the soil rather than running off of. So because of this biological advantage of uh, being able to use what our soil already has in place, um, we're able to make use of things like uh, root channels. Um, So, what I'm referring to here is we're not ripping our shank. I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with it, but we have an advantage because we don't have to destroy the structure of the soil to get our fertility in place. We can slice it open, drop it, and then the soaking and basically continue on where it was uh, unhampered. So if we can make use of these root channels. That are, have been put in place by either previous corn or previous soybeans or the cover crop or our worm channels, the energy does not need to be expended by our plants. Uh, we can use it to uh, produce upper growth or pod set or um, fill kernel, et cetera, rather than expend it into the soil. One thing I have learned uh, over, the, over, over time is with our microbial habitat and our arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi, or so our AMF habitat, once we break those up, they have to repair themselves so it's just it, i refer to it as a hurricane going through a local town or a tornado going through a local town they're going to stop they're going to take their time they're going to spend money they're going to rebuild their homes going to rebuild their roads before things can get back to normal right if we can if we destroy our soil structure and we rip up these towns and these homes of these of these uh, microbes and these mycorrhizal fungi they have to expend up to 90 percent of their energy to rebuild their homes that only leaves 10 percent for that year that is going into our plants if I can maintain 90% going into my plants and only 10% going into themselves, I'm further ahead in the year. My plants don't have to work as hard. They're better fed. This here is just a representative shot of the 2510S with the shank doing the uh, doing do, making its strips, the more of a um, intrusive uh, strip being made compared to the uh, bio my sorry not bio the, the uh, 2510H making its its zipper strip. Um, definitely uh, only Soil disruption and minor soil disruption residue is pretty much still intact along with our, our cover crop success, so definitely reduced. Okay, so the number one reason that this system works for me is because we've incorporated cover crops to go along with it. So, this is our bio, this is an explanation of what we do with our bio strip till. Uh, you'll see in the picture here, this is taken about f- mid October, um, things have progressed extremely well. So, on the row, we have all of our tillage plants here. So, this is um, this is a seven and a half inch twin on a thirty center. So there's a thirty, and there's a thirty, and there's thirty, or sorry, fifteen and thirty. Uh, so what we've done is every thirty inches we've alternated the species. So we have our tillage plants, legumes in this strip, and we have our high carbons with some nitrogen production as well in here. I'll explain that as we go along. So, the bio strip till, I call it bio because bio means life, and we're going to use a life to do our, to, to do our strip till or do our tillage now. Our mechanical tillage is replaced by a biological activity, so anywhere from our roots to our microbes to our worms. And tillage is done, this tillage is done without the use of carbon-based fuels. So instead of me dragging a shank through the soil expending diesel fuel, I can place a plant and, re- and re- rely on it to collect its own fuel system, sunlight, etc., use its energy to push down through the soil, loosen it, and leave it prepared for me for the for the next season. Quick question for you guys, anyone know what this little creature is? This is actually an earthworm. So this actually does make you a little bit afraid to go out at night. They're when you see them up close, they are not your simple little lazy little creatures, right? They are powerful. They have a bite. Those guys you see in the videos that Ray showed yesterday, etc., they can really move our, our residue forest. They can do a lot of work. So, one of the main reasons that we're trying to preserve this is that our organic matter, which is ancient carbon, right, created over thousands of years, uh, we can preserve this. We can save this for our plants to use rather than uh, burning it off in, in our atmosphere. Uh, organic matter controls moisture, nitrogen, and ox- oxygen regulation in the soil. It's very important for us to have. Um, if we can regulate our organic matter, it rele- releases nitrogen over time naturally, right? It stores it and releases it for us. If we don't burn it off, we can maintain that. We can feed our plants. So we are creating new carbon with this tillage. So now we're putting our plants in place, um, we're able to use the liquid carbon pathway, which is uh, Christi- Dr. Christine Jones, I suggest you fellows, um, uh, if you want some reading, you look up amazingcarbon.com, it's an amazing read. Um, but she explains it as the liquid carbon pathway is sunlight that is being converted into simple sugars and then being exuded into the roots. So this new carbon, when it's being exuded out of the roots from these cover crops, um, carbon is basically just simple sugars or food for the coming crop, can be placed deep in the roots. So now we have precision placed fertility in our soil. Not just with the strip till and the fertility, we can push our roots down way deeper and drop it down and leave it there for the next plants to follow previous existing uh, root channel and it'll fall it down through not only is the root exused but also the old root biomass this biomass is uh, created in such or this biomass is the old roots as they decompose they will form organic matter right and that's a food source for our our, our cash crop as we continue into further years so this system I refer to as a car uh, I tentatively to refer to it to as a, as a positive carbon footprint. This is tillage that creates carbon, rather than depleting it. So, like I mentioned earlier, instead of, instead of us dragging the shank to the soil and, and releasing carbon dioxide in the, in, into the air, we're able to use the plants to do the tillage and create the carbon throughout the season. This also supports the aggregation without first destroying it. So instead of tearing it up, we're actually using the, the, the roots to exude their sugars and tie the soil together. We're able to increase water holding capacity through this, through aggregation. The simple sugars bond our, our water to our soil particles and we're able to maintain in our soils, raising our wilting point of, of the soil. Um, and then the number one thing that I enjoy about it is um, our strike site infiltration. So when we get these uh, light quarter-inch rains or we get these heavy, deluging six-inch rains, if, we can, if, if the water hits in one place and infiltrates in, at the same place we're able to, um, uh, through the aggregation, we're able to collect that water and hold on to it. If it's running down the hill, then we're losing it, right? It could be going into, the, into our, our rivers, et cetera, and our um, aggregation is extremely important for that. Um, this is to, and I refer to this as tillers that feeds the biology as well, because the plasma plants till, they're excreting sugars, et cetera, that feed these microbes, and they're enjoying this. Um, some of the benefits that I that we able to see um, through science is that when we increase our organic matter or our carbons in our soil 1% organic matter increase holds another thousand pounds of nitrogen 220 pounds of phosphorus and 140 pounds of sulfur um, we also increase our water infiltration rate and when we do that 1 percent of organic matter can hold another 20,000 gallons of water per acre and we know with our extremes that we're seeing these days in our weather, this is extremely important. We don't get rain for two and three weeks. We need to be able to hang on to this stuff as long as possible. The system as it's growing. So shortly after planting, you can see the this will be the legume and the tilled strip, uh, the tilled type plant strips here with the high carbons in between. About mid September, we're getting into you starting to see the tillage radish etc. take off. Um, they're soaking up as much nitrogen left over and N P and K around them and the uh, the grasses as well. And then by um, early October, mid-October, somewhere in there, or early October we're getting into uh, larger plants. We're starting to produce, produce some biomass. The, the grasses, um, they, never, they don't put on as much biomass in the spring or in the fall as they do, as they do in the spring. So we're, because this row is going to winter kill, it's going to be completely bare come spring, we need to get as much biomass out of it as possible. Okay, so you, we'll give you a little explanation of how this system is set up. So in that strip, all the species will winter kill, as I mentioned. Uh, there's tillage roots and legumes. Um, they have different purposes. Our tap roots, our tap roots um, which, do most, which do our tillage and, and really push deep for us, are things like rape, sunflower, kale, we use mustards, uh, daikon radish, and of course, this cheap bin-run soybeans a thread to keep, help keep our costs down. There's also fine root plants like our Phacelia, uh, whether you're familiar with that, it's a, it's a cooler season plant that likes the fall, um, but when the plant is at full maturity and flowering, you can't put its roots inside of a, a five gallon pail. It's got so much thin, fine roots to it, excellent for soil tilth. Uh, we have uh, forage peas and buckwheat are another um, one that I like for doing fine tilth on top of the soil. The buckwheat has the ability to release a lot of pea. So it's got a very, very strong acid to it, and we can get a lot more phosphorus use out of those. And in my area, phosphorus is definitely down, so they're they're, they're in high use. Our legumes, we use things like forest peas because they enjoy the cool weather. Austrian winter pea because they can overwinter uh, at times. Lynx peas um, are supposed to be more winter tolerant. We're, we're trialing them right now. Our winters are more harsh than some of the winters that you fellows have to deal with. You could have better, um, uh, uh, success than we have had. Faba beans, phenomenal end producers. You give those guys a couple months they will put on a big n- uh, node system. They're great that way. Beer Seam Clover, they love, uh, they can tolerate shade. Uh, crimson Clover, they will die over winter if, they're man- if they manage to get to flower. If they don't, they will grow in the spring. And then of course our soybeans uh, just to maintain um, uh, some security in uh, nodulation because uh, our fields are already nodulated for it. We use the multiple species because all of these legumes will fix atmospheric nitrogen, but at different times. So if we're dealing with drought at different times, or we're dealing with poor germination, we have a much better chance of ensuring that we have proper uh, nodulation. One thing we've been playing with the last couple of years is determining how much end credit we can give ourselves for these things. So we've been using soil nitrate tests in the spring, and the summer, we've also been using Sylvita uh, respiration tests. They've been uh, very telling. Very, very excited about those. And then we've been using leaf tests. In the fall, we're able to collect up uh, like species and have them tested uh, for their NPK, um, uh, compi- um, what they're made up of, what's in them. Uh, in the spring, we can test the high carbon uh, cover crop between the row to see how much nitrogen it has sequestered from the dying tillage row. How much of that N and P that's leaked out of the tillage rats, et cetera, that's been picked up by these, um, uh, by these uh, high carbon that've come to that come to, come to life early on. How much have we sequestered in those? And then in the summer, of course, we can test the actual leaves of the corn and the, uh, and the, and the soybeans to see when we are picking these up. When are we having deficiency? Do we need to apply for fertility at this time or at, at, uh, at all? Here's a little, uh, one of the little leaf egg, um, tests we did this year. Um, in behind on the, on the background is a test with um, full rate of uh, 30 gallons of nitrogen applied uh, with side dress. I should say at planting we're applying 20 gallons or 60 units of N at planting, um, and then we come back through with a 30 gallon application at side dress around b 6 So this was taken on the 17th of or the 15th of July um, on the test that has uh, full nitrogen of 30 gallons. We had a 4.34 percent. Availability or, or composition of the leaf, so we're, we're at a sufficient level. On the test that has no N, right side by side, we have had a high level of N release. I attribute that this season to the release of nitrogen uh, from our decomposing uh, hairy vetch and um, tied-up uh, nutrients in our tied-up nitrogen in our uh, high carbon cover crops between the rows. This is one year data. It's just very interesting for us to note. Uh, so we're going to continue on with uh, reducing our numbers of nitrogen per, day, per, per, per year and see if we can get our costs down yet The in-row species will all support mycorrhizal fungi if you guys are familiar with it or not I'll give a quick little explanation. This is your main root of your plant. This is the mycorrhizal fungi here It's a beneficial symbiotic fungi that will colonize the root of your plant if it, uh, if it exists in your soil you can not inoculate it for, for certain companies have it, but it naturally occurs. What we're doing here is the depletion zone on the root is usually a small area around the plant. So the plant will exude sugars and water into the soil and they get about 50% of those back uh, through mass diffusion into its root to, to feed itself. If we can get these mycorrhizal fungi to colonize and grow, we can, we can triple our area in which we can pull our nutrients from in season. But we have to keep a living root in the soil to keep these guys alive. That's where the cover crops come in. They need a host or they or they will die. Because um, they are one-tenth the size of the root here, they're not visible to our eyes, but we can see them through the aggregation tied to your roots of your plants. You see all this dirt tied to it. That's the mycorrhizal fungi doing their job. We can lower the field's wilting point. So if your neighbor's field is drying off, but yours isn't, maybe there's a, with a low tillage system, you got more mycorrhizal fungi working for you there. Um, the neat part about them is in a in the, they are more efficient with the plant's uh, carbon and water cycle so if a micro uh, in a diffusion situation uh, the plant will exude so much so much water and nutrient or uh, sugars into the soil but only get about 50% of that back what else, in our in the mycorrhizal fungi whatever is, is spread out in this little little uh, filaments and highways is all brought back it's 100% efficient So we can maintain a lot more water and uh, um, uh, sugars, et cetera, for for the plants. What really intrigues me too is is with our soils, what is referred to as the microbial bridge. So our soils have what's called a microbial bridge. Um, It's the memory of what, uh, microbes are in the soil. Mycorrhizal fungi allow the soil to remember that if they're kept alive they're the ones that do the signaling that's call on the nitrogen microbes or the phosphorus microbes uh, for the different species. If the, mi- if the mycorrhizal fungi is allowed to die and uh, it, it isn't kept alive on, on a living root, it forgets. Uh, the plants don't know that these microbes are out there. The microbes aren't fed and our numbers are going down and so we don't have much a, a diverse uh, population uh, there to work for us. So our mycorrhizal fungi are incredibly important because it, it keeps that microbial bridge open, and we have microbial memory. Then, okay. So then between the rows is what we call is our, what I call our high carbon cover crops. We use things like triticale it overwinters. It's very ve- very vegetative. Winter barley uh, overwinters as well. We use oats, cereal rye, which, which oats do not do not overwinter, of course. Um, cereal rye does. We use our hairy vetch, and we've in, just begun to implement red clover into the system as well. The grasses will act as a nurse crop to protect the hairy vetch, the red clover, and our mycorrhizal fungi through our harsh winters, etc. Um, there's a symbiotic relationship there, uh, relationship there helping us as we move forward. So here's what it looks like after the, um, at planting. Um, they're about 8 to 10 inches tall on, on the grasses. We've used them as a, as a path in which to drive our equipment on as we plant. You can see the more dead bare strip in between where we're planting our corn, twin row corn, and then this is what it looks like from top view. here, our, our hairy vetch um, uh, proliferating between using the, uh, uh, the the grasses as a trellis to grow straight up. So the science or the the benefit behind this is our rye, triticale, winter barley because they will fire up in the spring early on. They will get our microbial activity going long before we enter the field. This is going to act as a spring primer. It's going to, uh, the first job of, the cover crop, of a cover crop is to exude and puke uh, root exudes into the soil, your, your sugars and your carbons in the soil uh, through, mass diffier- th- through the, the diffusion process. If we can terminate these cover crops before they pull all this back in, we've now equivalently broken nutrients free and left them in the soil and for our, our, our coming crop. And that's why I refer to it as a spring prime primer. We have be able to cut back on our, our, uh, our, our starter rates because we have more available nutrients to us first thing. These plants also act as a catch. As our tillage radish breaks down, a lot of the science shows us that the uh, tillage ratus would really just bleed out a lot of their nutrients really quickly. If we have these plants alive early on in the spring, we can catch a lot of this stuff and pull it back into uh, use. We can then time release it as the high carbon cover crops break down so somewhere around that v4 v7 corn to v5 soybeans so flowering etc these are very important times um, for our crops if we can release time release that nitrogen uh, our plants can definitely excel and move forward with that as well we will chemically terminate this uh, the high carbon cover crops uh, after planting um, the end is uh, the end that is produced and released is now in an organic form uh, so it's plant usable the work's been done. Our plants can simply, our cash crops can simply soak them up and make good use of them. And like I mentioned earlier, we can release these at peak time, somewhere around the 30 to 60 days, depending on the species. The main goal of, of, of this row, though, is to give give us something to drive on and also help us really um, cut back on our, our synthetic nitrogen requirements. Okay. We'll get out of the the science get into something a little more interesting for you guys. After these high carbon cover crops died, they're still providing lots of benefits for us in this biostariputal system. So we have high flotation tire path which we've already kind of made mention to. As the tractor drives along and as the planter drives along, we're holding ourselves up. Wetter conditions, we're not doing as much damage. We're driving on top of this thick root mass underneath us. Um, In our sandy loam soil, we can hold some moisture in the spring and dry out in the summer. For us to float, it's a very important thing. We can increase our water infiltration uh, using these type of plants as well. Um, you can see uh, ten, th- th- these are taken about ten feet apart. Cover crop, no cover crop. You see our, our sandy loam soil is more of just a slab. There's no a, a lot. There's no aggregation. There's going to be poor water infiltration versus our cottage cheese on this side. Our roots have exuded their sugars and they've built up uh, our soils and, and provided carbon for the for the coming crop. This is a point of interest for me between the uh, tillage rows. Uh, our radishes and our legumes, etc. You see the soil churn that's in here? This is all from earthworms. They've they've just pumped up and down through the soil. They've just been busy as beavers trying to cycle all the, this is after a wheat crop, cycle all the the straw. So we've got massive biological activity going on that on a dry bare field would not have existed. And then for uh, um, uh, some of you, uh, most of you I'm sure uh, um, uh, experienced the freeze in the the winter, um, but we make use of that freeze because this twin row, seven and a half inch twin row bio strip, uh, the roots are inter- 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 interconnected and intertangled uh, inter- together. When we get a frost, it actually heaves and lifts this, and that's a form of tillage for us as well. So it actually breaks and, sh- and, and, and shatters, and we haven't had to spend a dime on that. With this high carbon, um, biomass we are able to conserve a lot of uh, moisture uh, so we use, make use of soil armor between the rows. Our tritical and our, hairy, our tritical and our cereal rye have the allopathic effect which we're able to suppress small uh, uh, like seeds uh, grasses etc so we're able to hold off on, on some um, uh, herbicide applications etc to save ourselves some money there. But you can see with just a cheap little uh, Canadian tire uh, moisture meter um, between the rows without the Biomass cover, we're down around a 3 on the moisture reading. We're starting to get dry. This was taken uh, about the beginning of July. But 10 feet away, in the, bi- in the biomass cover, we'll have a reading of 7. We've covered our soil, we've stopped the, uh, uh, we stopped the um, evaporation, um, and we've been able to hang on to more of that uh, water with our increased aggregation that we caused in the spring. Soil temperatures are also, are, are also controlled. Um, I just got this temperature gauge, and it's not sufficient for what I want. That is not zero, that is turned right around and actually back to, back to zero. So on the no-till portion of the, of, again, the same place where we did, did the testing, uh, no more than 10 feet apart, we're dealing with 90, 90 9, 95 degree soils um, versus where we have the cover, we're dealing with somewhere around that uh, 77, 78 degrees, so we're talking pretty much 20 degrees difference. And we know that as soils heat up, microbe activity stops or, and eventually micro, microbes die. We also know that at 85 degrees, um, I think it's something like uh, 15% of the water in the soil is usable for the plant. The other portion of it is completely, it, it can evaporate off. So if we can keep these temperatures down, we have a lot more available water to us. And our cover crops can do that for us. And then we also make use of weed suppression. Uh, with these uh, systems. Um, you can see the biomass laying on top of the, the, the allopathic effect, um, we're able to hold off the weeds. But one of the larger things even to to to, to go away from the allopathic effect, if we can use even our um, winter uh, triticale or our winter barley and we can soak up the available nitrates that are left in the soil, if we can get it below a 50 parts per, per, parts per million nitrin, nitrate, weeds won't germinate they do not want to germinate. They, they don't see it as a beneficial time to, be, uh, to germinate and then we can hold them off naturally. Um, and then of course we can get our corn etc on ahead and and uh, preserve moisture at, at the same time. We'll just finish off here with uh, a little explanation of why we chose to go with uh, a twin row design for everything that we're doing here. You notice it's twin row corn, twin row beans, twin row cover crops. We were challenged back in the early 90's by Ray Ross and when he, asked, he says if you could farm 40 percent more land without purchasing it would you You're purchasing or renting it. We so well, of course you would he says then you need to do it. work with strip till and you need to work with twin rows the reason I say that is this is from Great Plains Manufacturing they have a lot of uh, research in this area on a 30 inch row you're utilizing on a 30 inch row on a 38,000 seeds per acre so it's a little high for for our area maybe not for some of your, your guys 30 um, inch rows utilize 14.4 percent of each acre 20-inch rows use 32.4% of each nature of each acre, but a twin row can use 44.8% of an acre. So we have a lot more root space for our plants to grow inside of. We're using more acre, we have more water, we have more um, nutrient availability to us, and just flat out more room for these roots to grow into. So the, basically the 40% comes from your 44.8 versus your 14.4. So we got got 40% more of our soil that we can use. That's something that really intrigued us. And uh, in our reduced water uh, um, area that we live in, uh, it's very important for us to be able to explore more soil. So this system is able to utilize uh, a lot of symbiotic relationships. and one of them is a mycorrhizal fungi uh, which links plants together so uh, like plants, soybean plants, corn plants can help each other, young ones can help older ones or ones that are behind deficient can help others so I call that sharing care so our plants are able to to uh, uh, help each other. Um, There's also a lot of science coming in now showing that our cover crops can actually uh, interseeded cover crops can link up with um, um, other beneficial plants. Uh, um, Nitrogen producing plants can link with your corn the nitrogen plant wants the phosphorus to uh, uh, use in its micro- to use in the in, in the production of glomulin in the mycorrhizal fungi, but the corn wants the nitrogen, so they so they trade each other, and I think that's got a lot a lot of benefit behind it for our, our interseeding and what we can continue to do there. Our close pro- seed proximity, because we're only eight inches apart and then spaced in the row rather than a thirty inch row, uh, we're promoting elongation. We can get some plants to grow a little taller, a little faster. And this really helps us out, especially in our soybeans, because it promotes higher pod set. Whether you guys struggle with uh, when you're combining uneven ground or et cetera, you're, you're nipping pods or you're losing pods, we've been really able to push those a lot higher. We can combine a lot faster and we can get a lot more of our, our, our soybeans in the bin. Number one for us is, is weed suppression. Uh, we don't have as much sunlight as some fellows or it's growing season, so the quicker we can canopy, the better. 30s won't canopy where we are, twins will. And then of course, if, if we can get our canopy to, to close up, we can capture all the sunlight and conserve moisture without burning it out of our, our rows. Um, twin rows for us were pretty easy, easy on the, on the pocketbook. We did minor modifications to our John Deere 1790 planter. I'll show you here in a second. And um, we did not have to modify our header in any, any, any way to, 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 uh, to combine them. Um, the, the twin rows just pull together and slip inside. So here's our picture of our 1790 that we modified. We simply took um, the inner plant rows and we built a framework where it consisted of a flat plate uh, that we dropped back, um, I think it was dropped back 10 inches and then we and then we shift them over. And I know now you can buy actually kits, you guys have kits for these planters to actually move these twin rows over. So the we didn't have to re- repurchase the planter and we didn't have to repurchase the header to get this done that like you might have to do in a, in a 15 row or something like this. One thing we have seen ourselves when we put our strip till and our um, twin rows together is we've seen reduced fertilizer rates. We've been able to drop from a third to a half depending on our goals or, or the field that we're applying it into. And we've been able to increase the percent usability of the fertilizer in the first year. So, uh, as a rule of thumb for us, we say if we're going to spread fertilizer, we, we, you're going to get around that 20 to 30 percent usable the first year. That's our experience. In stripto, we can see anywhere from 40 to a, to a, to a, 55, a 50 to 60 percent use in the first year. Um, we're, we quite enjoy the uh, efficiency that's there. And then what was uh, commented to me uh, by a seed sales rep right along in the combine one day while combining corn, he was amazed at how the yield monitor was able to maintain yield from one end to the other. And with the use of the fertility in the strip along and the twin rows on top of it, we're able to uh, foot by foot and row by row maintain our yield acro- ac- across the field very, very uh, consistently. And that's something that uh, when it comes to our yield monitors being a profit and loss, pages um, it really shows up well for us it really helps our bottom line okay that's all i got guys but thank you very much
0: thank you dustin for sharing your experience setting up equipment and adapting a fertility program to accommodate a bio strip till system and again we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor dawn equipment and the new pluribus strip till row unit for helping make this strip till farmer podcast series possible I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program. So feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. And if you haven't done so already, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series in iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free Strip-Till Strategies daily email update. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at f a r m r, and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on November 16th for the next episode in our 2017 podcast series And a reminder that you can register to receive our brand new Strip-Till Farmer quarterly print newsletter at striptillfarmer.com. For Dustin Mulock, Dawn Equipment, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening.